Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. If you would, I'm going to say one more quick word of prayer to prepare my heart and our hearts for this moment to hear from God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, once again, welcome to our church, and welcome to this time where we hear from God's Word. In 2018, we've been looking through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, today we're actually going to fast forward to this moment when Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. And don't worry, after the Easter season, we'll back up and continue to look at Jesus and this Gospel of Mark and discovering who he is and how that uh, impacts our lives. The title of today's message is Redefining Greatness, and um, I think it's fitting as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and approaching this week, and as we approach this Holy Week, we can ask the question, how does a person achieve greatness? So let's begin there. For each one of you, young or old, how do you think a person achieves greatness? You know, as I was preparing for this message, I, I realized some of us were just climbing the ladder of vocation or, you know, the social engagement. We're, we're hoping to achieve our way through hard work or intelligence greatness. Other, others of us are looking for great opportunities. We, we're kind of, you know, positioning ourselves, angling to be in the line of greatness, if we're honest. Others of us maybe think, well, I'm going to maybe inherit, inherit greatness. 
How does a person achieve greatness? A few years back, in 2012, we moved here. My family moved to Charleston in 2011. And immediately, I fell in love with paddleboarding. And um, in 2012, I invited my kids to begin paddleboarding with me and with us. And, and we live on Daniel Island. And I'm just confused as to why more people aren't out on the water, you know, off Daniel Island. Can I get an amen, Sean? Amen. Okay. So I thought, hey, what a better way... Uh, what, what better way is there to love my kids than to teach them how to paddleboard? And so uh, here's a picture from 2012 with my little, my little kiddos. Um, this is six years ago. So the one on the left, that's Caden with the shaggy hair. Caden's now 6'3 and 14 years old, but he wasn't nearly that big in 2012. So he would have been um, eight years old. And that's his little brother to the right. That's Blaze. And Blaze would have been six years old. And I should, have, I should have looked at this picture, looked at this scene and go, you know, determined something was wrong right out, right out of the gate because Blaze is not holding his paddle the right way. In fact, he looks like he's about to clobber his older brother, doesn't he? Well, I shared this story of when we first went paddleboarding. I shared it, believe it or not, a couple years ago at our first Easter story. Because you see what happened is... Um, Caden got onto the paddleboard. There's Caden. And I didn't have a leash. And I grew up in Florida where tides aren't a big deal. But if any of you have been around Charleston for a while, you know tides are a really big deal here. In fact, they're very, very aggressive. Nonetheless, I sent Caden out um, on this paddleboard. Luckily, he had a life vest because after a few minutes, he went right past that dock and fell off. And I hear him shrieking, Dad, help me. And I just honestly instinctively take off running and dive into the water. Now, again, if you've fallen in the, the, the Wando River or the harbor, you know you're not staying in one place. You're going up or down the river, up or down the harbor. And before you know it, this paddleboard is way far away from Caden. And I'm swimming to save my son's life. And I shared this story, and thank God um, we were able to save his life. In, in fact, he, got to, he somehow made it to the end of this pier and was hugging the pier, you know, like a bear hug, arms and legs. And thank God we were able to save him. And yes, concerned parents, I've now bought a leash so that he would be attached to the paddleboard from, from that moment. So we come in from this scary moment. And Carly, my wife, is like, thank God. And I was like, thank you, God. And she goes, but something, something very strange happened when, when Caden fell off and he began to drown. Like, his younger brother said something, and we just need to talk about it. And I said, well, what did Blaze say? And it turns out he said these words. And I'm going to use his, his speech. If Caden dies, I get to be the oldest brother. <laughs> Very loving brother, wouldn't you say? You know? and, and so I think Blaze might have been, I shared this ser sermon and this story in the first service. He was a good sport. He might have been a little confused as to how you ascend to greatness, don't you think? 
a little sibling rivalry. If Caden dies, I get to be the oldest brother. Now here's the deal. I think, I believe, we're all made for greatness. I don't care where you're at in your life. I, I think whether you're in seventh grade or 70 years old, I think you're made for greatness. The problem is we don't know how to live into that. And so as we picture Jesus and we read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem before the crowds, before his disciples, I would argue we see perhaps the greatest picture of greatness, the entrance in the greatest story of greatness the world has ever seen. If I had to summarize our passage in one phrase or one sentence, it would be this. True greatness is found not by what is gained in life, but by what is given in love. Sounds simple, but it's not. One more time. True greatness is found not by what is gained in life, but by what is given in love. And as we look at this passage, I just want to quickly look at three points. Number one, greatness comes by way of a path. Number two, greatness comes by way of a posture. And point number three, greatness comes by way of a person. Point number one, greatness comes by way of a path. Brooke, beautiful job, she read these words this morning. And they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Greatness comes by way of a path. This week I read a, a story that uh, Billy Graham had recounted about Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was once on a train from Princeton. And uh, as any of you know that have commuted in and out of a city, right? There's the conductor that comes through the train to do what? Punch your ticket. And so Einstein sees the conductor coming down you know, the center aisle punching the tickets. And as the conductor comes to Dr. Einstein, he says, sir, do you have your ticket? And Einstein, excuse me, Einstein looks in his jacket and can't find his ticket. And then he starts fiddling around in his trousers and he can't find his ticket. And finally the conductor says, sir, it's okay. I know who you are. We all know who you are. And I trust that you purchased the ticket. And Dr. Einstein said, young man, thank you so much. Have a great day. And the conductor said, you too. So the conductor continued his way down the center aisle punching tickets only to look back and see Dr. Einstein on uh, all four limbs crawling around under his seat. And so the conductor runs back and says, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay. We all know who you are. And Dr. Einstein 
looks back at the conductor and says, son, I too know who I am. It's just I've forgotten where I'm going. As we look at this passage, let me make this very clear. Jesus knew exactly who he was, and he knew exactly where he was going. We read, in fact, he's referencing different Old Testament passages as he turns to his 12 disciples. For instance, some 800 years before in the book of Isaiah, these words were promised. These words were written. Who has believed what is heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Similarly, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, we read this prophecy. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus knew as he was walking this path, as he was walking up to Jerusalem, he wasn't just physically walking up, though he was. I know we have some hikers in the room. He was leaving Jericho going towards Jerusalem. The ascent would have been around 4,500 feet. But he was ascending into something greater into the great calls, into the great love, into the great plan, following the great path laid out in the scriptures of what? God's love for them and God's love for us. In fact, this title, the Son of Man, he turns and he starts teaching and helping his followers understand. This was his favorite title in which he would describe himself, directly referencing Daniel. He used it 81 times in the Gospels. And he's basically saying, guys, I've come to redeem you. I've come to follow the path that God has laid out for you. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, and he's on the way to do what? To save the world. Over and over and over again, promises and prophecies are fulfilled. And he's now directly, as he's getting closer to Jerusalem, he's directly unveiling those to those who would hear. Point number one, greatness comes by way of a path, which we clearly see in the word of God. 
Point number two, greatness comes by way of a posture. Things take a slight or a big turn here. In Jesus, excuse me, in James and John, the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said, we're able. So imagine, if you will, this scene, okay? Jesus has has just unveiled who he is, why he came, and where he's going. Nonetheless, James and John... As they're following Jesus, you can almost imagine their imaginations going full throttle, their scheming going full throttle. And in fact, we read in the Gospels that there's three different followers of Jesus that were in his inner circle. Does anyone know who those are? James, John, and Peter. And the great irony of this passage is this. I love this. Peter's left out. But he's not left out of the history of the church in this moment. Why? Because Mark, or John Mark, is his mentee, and he's the one who wrote this gospel. How did he get the gospel? He wasn't directly following Jesus. His mentor, Peter, told him about this account. And ultimately, he's outing James and John here. He's like, yeah, those knuckleheads. Jesus is talking about his impending doom, and they turn and like, Jesus. I mean, here's a modern translation for Charleston. Jesus, can you hook us up? (laughs) What knuckleheads. You know, and as the brothers engage Jesus, their true motives are revealed, aren't they? And I think, I think if we're honest, it's true with us too. You know, what's what's driving us even to be here today? For James and John, they saw an opportunity. They thought they were going to sit next to this you know, mighty king. And when they're like saying, we can drink this cup, they're ready to go to war, you know? Well, Jesus was going to a different kind of war. And he was walking a different kind of path of greatness. You see, they were interested in fame, not faith. They were interested in favor, not faith. And of course, then we read these words. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant, you think, at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. In this very moment, Jesus turns the very ethics of the whole world on their head. He turns our own hearts inside out. He's saying, you want to be great? Don't puff yourself up. Drop yourself down. In another account, there's this moment. It's the Last Supper. And again, they're trying to get close to Jesus, angle to Jesus. And he drops down and he takes his robe off and he drops down and starts wiping, cleansing 
off their feet, all the grit and the grime. Only a slave would do that. Only the lowest of the low would do that. But Jesus does that for them, and he does it for you. Greatness has a certain posture, doesn't it? You see, as followers of Jesus, he's saying to them, he's saying to us, friends, you exist not to be served, but to serve others. This is your call. This is the very DNA which is in you. Let me frame it up a different way. The church doesn't exist for you and what you can get. You exist for the church. The world doesn't exist for you. You exist for the world. Jesus is turning ethics, everything, on its head. And what he's basically saying is the way to greatness in God's economy is not up, it's down. In our church, I'm going to embarrass the heck out of some people right now. I want people to watch the Amandolias. They're heat-seeking missiles for greatness in God's economy. They, I, I'm, not, I'm going to point them out. They're in the middle of the room. I'm embarrassing them. Jim is so mad at me. Honest to God, if there's a pastoral care need in our church, they're there all the time. All the time. It baffles me. I, I don't know how they do it. Um, he's a former Marine, so that might be part of it. Or not a former, always. Right? Amen. Sorry. Okay. But honestly, if someone needs a meal, they're providing a meal. If someone's sick in the hospital, they're at the hospital. If I'm struggling, they're at my back door. Greatness in God's economy is not puffing up, it's dropping down. And also, as I prepared this message, I kept getting glimpses of people in the blue shirts. Does anyone know what I'm referring to? Our kids' ministry. Over and over again, people, you, some of you, drop down quietly with great humility and serve our kids. And uh, it really is moving to me. And it really makes a difference in the life of those kids. At the earlier service, I got a text that someone, a little munchkin, was sick and the wife couldn't be here. But the husband was back in the preschool room. A former nuclear submarine officer was back on his hands and knees with one-year-olds. Greatness isn't just a path, it's a posture. Point number three. Greatness comes by way of a person. This week I came across a story from the American Revolution, and I just want to read it to you. During the American Revolution, a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers repairing a small defensive barrier, and their leader was shouting instructions, but making no attempt to help them. Asked why by the writer, he retorted with great dignity, Sir, I'm a corporal. And the stranger apologized, dismounted, and proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. The job done, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come 
and help you again. And it was none other than George Washington. You see, Jesus doesn't simply teach about greatness. He is the very embodiment of greatness. And if we're honest, we all know we, we don't have it all together. We don't quite measure up. And, and, and if, if we're all honest, we, we hate the idea, but we know we need it. The idea of Jesus dropping down on his hands and knees, washing our feet, and in so doing, washing our very hearts and giving us new life. He embodies greatness. Our passage ends like this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see, in Jesus, true greatness is found not in ascending a throne, but in ascending a cross. Why? Because we need it, and He loves us. Later in the New Testament, we read these words from Philippians 2. Have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, in this passage, we not only see greatness coming via a path, we not only see it coming via a posture, we see it coming in the very person of Jesus Christ. So what's the point? I think there are two takeaways. Number one, point blank, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus who this week goes before you? Not puffing up, but dropping down. Do you know the greatest story the world has ever seen or heard? Do you know this gospel, this good news in your life? Do you know this Jesus who is the Messiah? Who will do anything for you? And the second question is, will you follow him? Will you follow him? Will you understand that greatness isn't about achieving this or that, angling for this or that, inheriting this or that, but you're made for more. When, when we read that Jesus is the Son of Man, what that means is He is the true humanity that God intended from the very creation of the world. And you and I are made in that image. And He's come to not just redeem us, but to restore our very humanity. True greatness is found not by what is gained in life, but what is given in love. And we'll see this this week through the crucifixion. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search all the, the hearts in this room. Some people in this room are being nudged by you to say, yes, I need this. So if that's you, if, if you've never understood this good news and, and it's your first time to say, yes, Jesus, I turn and I trust you, I would just invite you to simply, in the silence of this moment, say yes. Jesus, I turn and trust you. And for those who uh, maybe for the first time or have been to church for, gosh, years and years, and we're like James and John, we're still trying to figure it out and simply seek God for his favor. God, I, I, I just... We come to you with humble, repentant hearts, and, and, and we just invite you to lead us afresh today as we go into our homes, into our places of work, into our, even our neighborhoods, that we would not look to gain, but to give with gospel love. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.